Hello and welcome to the BarCast. I'm your host, Nick Barr, and this is episode 15. We're going to try something a little bit different today. Um, Rather than spend a bunch of time on one topic, we're going to spend a little bit of time on a few different topics. And uh, this is a housekeeping decision as much as anything. Um, I keep a Trello board uh, for both work and life. It's a big old Trello board. Um, And as things come into my life that need me to deal with them, um, I put them in the Trello board. So for instance, I'm looking at it now. uh, I have a list called admin and that has things I need to do. I need to expense something, um, et cetera. I have one called people to talk to. And these are people I need to reach out to for various reasons, um, both in the context of work and life. Uh, I have a list called consumables. These are uh, books or movies that I should I should consume. Um, on and on and on. I have places I want to visit. And then I have the BarCast. And these are ideas for the BarCast. Um, I'm using an app called Later to capture ideas in Trello, L8R, available on iOS. Uh, developed and designed by yours truly. And for a mere 99 cents, it could be yours. Highly recommend it. Um, give it a download. Let me know what you think. All proceeds go directly to the BarCast. Uh, I also launched a Patreon. I don't, I'm not sure if it's public. I don't, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'll put it. I think I've, I've been putting it in the links. Um, I have no patrons. Um, if you want to be the first patron, gosh, to, to think about um, all the perks <laughs> that, that await you. Uh, it's, it's quite an, it's quite an opportunity. Um, but yeah, I did launch a Patreon just out of curiosity as much as anything else. I pay, I think, 12 bucks a month or so for SoundCloud Premium. Um, and if I break even, that would be pretty amazing. That's my, that's my goal. Anyway, I have a, a Trello board of ideas um, that I come up with for the BarCast. And when the ideas are good enough, I um, do a BarCast about them. Um, but when, when they're really bad, I just delete them. But then there's sort of like these uh, middle tier ideas that have been languishing. And I have about five here. And so I thought we would just hammer them out so that I can clear this board um, and have less cognitive overhead uh, in my life. The first list just says, or rather the first card in the list just says priorities. And then the, the description is the word body question mark. I I know what this is. So this is actually related to what we were just talking about, which is our priorities. I found I could go on and on about GTD and getting things done and all this stuff. And maybe I'll do that in a separate episode. Um, there's, there are elements of GTD that are very, very strong. And then there are many, many more elements that are weak. Probably the, the single strongest element uh, is you cannot divide work and life. You have to capture it all in one place to have any chance at productivity. This is especially true for someone like me who lives mostly imbalanced life. And so, uh, you know, for instance, my birthday is coming up and I want to invite some friends to, uh, to get a drink. Um, I had to put that work in this Trello board. Had I kept it as sort of like a to-do in personal life, I just never would have done it. I've had many, many birthdays go by where no one knows it's my birthday just because like I don't prioritize that work. Um, but once I put it in the context of work, uh, I hammer it out. Um, I'm pretty productive at work. Um, and so all I have to do is just change these life events, the context of these life events into work context. And then I, I get her done. Um, so that's one way, you know, 
to think about priorities uh, related is for me, you know, health and going to the gym and physical fitness has been like a lifelong struggle. Um, I have really never been able to form any kind of healthy habit in terms of going to the gym three times a week or whatever, um, which puts me in, you know, a pretty common territory, right? Lots of people have this aspiration. I don't know if, I think I might be a little bit of an outlier in terms of how much importance I put in physical fitness and the delta between that and like uh, how much time I actually invest. So I think if you were to ask me like, you know, what do you value most? I, I might put like physical fitness as my number one thing. I have so much envy of people who are physically fit. I wish to be physically fit. I am sort of disappointed and disgusted by myself for not being physically fit. And yet like I don't do anything about it. Um, I've tried, you know, a, a bunch of ways of going to the gym and I'll have my spurts for sure, but I just, I just can't do it. And so I wonder if there isn't some sort of like judo trick similar to the work life thing of like changing my representation of self such that the body is, is, uh, part of that definition. So what I mean is like, I think, I think part of my problem is I just don't think of, I think of myself as like Nick who carries around his body. And I gotta, I've got to lug that body to the gym or I've got to lug that body for a run. Um, if I were somehow able to tweak um, my self-understanding to, um, hey, I'm an embodied being. And so the embodied being that is me benefits from trips to the gym. Then going to the gym would become, if not effortless, at least much easier. Um, it certainly wouldn't feel like a chore. Um, I, I really don't think that there's anything new here. And I'm sure someone has spoken to this concept much more eloquently, but I don't quite know where to bucketize that. And so that's why it made it to the crappy, um, purgatory of the bar cast done priorities done. The next card is election paralysis versus inaction. And there's a comment. The comment says Zinedine Zidane. Hmm. Okay. So where do I start with this one? I guess I'll just start from the beginning, the Zinedine Zidane comment. I was, uh, I guess, a senior in college looking for work and uh, applying to a bunch of jobs. I, I took the LSATs. I was thinking maybe of becoming a lawyer, but uh, I wasn't convinced. And so I was sort of looking for paralegal or auxiliary legal positions. I was kind of getting a little bit of interest uh, in code. I was interested in Larry Lessig. I was interested in IP um, I had a linguistics background. Anyway, I, I met this guy who ran like a sort of boutique firm. And I think what they did was sort of, uh, uh, like AI or deep learning or, you know, one of those sorts of things for discovery. So discovery is a phase where like there's a lawsuit and, um, you you give me all of your emails and data and all this stuff. And now, now's my chance to go find the juicy bits. Um, and normally people run through this, uh, and I'm sure it's all completely different now, but in 2008, it was just starting to change where, Hey, like this is a great opportunity for, um, machines to intervene. I think he ran a small company that was doing this and he was interviewing people and he took me out to dinner. It was just me and him. It was like uh, nothing untoward happened, but it, it, there was a certain vibe, uh, that was unpleasant about the interaction. But anyway, he, uh, sort of asking me 
um, various questions sort of probing into my personality. And now I can't remember the question, but I remember my answer. And the question was something along the lines of sort of like, I guess it was just trying to capture like my gumption or my, uh, uh, whether I took initiative and things. So sort of like, Hey, you know, what would you do if, if something came up? And I had just seen, um, this movie, I don't remember what the movie is called. This is, it's like the worst story ever. Uh, but it, it it's easy to find. It's, it's, uh, Mogwai do the soundtrack and it's, uh, a football match, a soccer match with Zinedine Zidane, uh, playing for Real Madrid. But unlike your regular soccer match, uh, all the cameras are just trained on Zidane the whole time. And they're like a bunch of really good cameras. So it's 90 minutes of Zidane. Um, and this is like later in his career. And what I thought was so beautiful about it is he's so efficient. Like, um, I think he's probably a striker. Um, maybe he was playing midfield, but, um, you know, he didn't do that much running. He, he was very stop and start. Um, and if you watch this film, there's a beauty to kind of how he picks his spots. Um, partly because I think he's just older and he can't run around as much as he used to, but also because he's just so wise and he, he sees these moves happening, you know, six, seven passes in advance. Um, it's really like magical if you're a soccer fan. And so I kind of gave him a spiel like that, which was like, yeah, I'm not going to kind of frantically run around. I, I, I'm inspired by Zidane and sort of want to make a uh, very, very efficient movements. Oh, there's a doggy barking. That's Oreo. Um, so that's that's the Zinedine Zidane comment. Um, how does this relate to the election? I guess it's interesting. Like, so so I didn't get the job, um, and I think he was off, he was put off by my response about this sort of efficiency of motion. Um, and so I think that sort of begs the question: is is when you see non action, non movement, how is it possible to evaluate that? Right, because one way to interpret non-movement is to say, well, this is, uh, this is bad. This is paralysis. Your lack of action is, uh, problematic. And then uh, another way to interpret non-motion is efficiency is rest. You are storing up, you are picking your spots. Um, and, uh, I'm not even going to go near this subject, but, um, I think about that when it comes to voting and the election, and I certainly will not be voting, and the, the the discourse around um, the the elections or people's obligation to vote or not obli- not uh, lack of obligation to vote is is crazy for me. Um, again, I'll I'm gonna just leave that there uh, and and not talk about the details of the election, um, except to say that uh, I'm on Team Hillary or whatever. Uh, I'm not gonna vote because I live in California. Um, and for that, I lived in New York and these just aren't swing states. Right? It's a waste of my time. Okay. On to card number three, someone else's shoes is the name of this card. And I think what I was, yeah, what I was going for here is, uh, an interesting question about like empathy, right? So one way to de- define empathy is to sort of say like, Hey, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, I think that's like a start. That's like a, a good thing to do for someone who's totally lacking in empathy, but it's sort of like a, um, it's sort of like a, 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 what do you call those things? Training wheels for like legitimate empathy. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. If I can 
I'm going to come up with an abstract one. I've noticed this with a couple of people close to me. I guess I'll just remove names. So there's someone who really doesn't um, like to, um, like, they don't, they don't like to be emailed, right? So, like, I don't, I never introduce them to people through email. Um, I hesitate before emailing them myself. Um, they're just, like, not a good, uh, uh, they, it's a pain for them, um, that's like a, that's a quirk. They're, they're quirky and you know, everyone has their quirks. And so this person's quirk is like, they just feel burdened by any email. Um, as a result, you know, of putting themselves in other people's shoes, I noticed that this person assumes then that everyone feels the same way about being emailed. Um, and as a result, this person's kind of a pain because, um, you know, uh, uh, well, I gosh, I guess this is a problematic example, but um, I think like they won't ask people or introduce people. They basically, they make a lot of decisions, um, based on imagining that other people don't like to be emailed when in fact, many people love to be emailed and are happy to sort of relay messages and on and on and on. Um, this is, it's, it's not a good example, but I'm trying to think of like, if there is one, maybe, maybe you can help me, uh, on Twitter or, in the comments, you know, I just received my first comments, so I'm very heartened by that and have now the swagger to say things like, hey, you can help me in the comments. But yeah, maybe an example where um, someone's behavior is not optimal exactly because they've put themselves and the, their quirks in someone else's shoes. Um, maybe I'll come back to it if I can think of anything, but this is rapid fire. That's So that's three. We're three out of five done. We've got two more. Um, this one is a mess. It says gratefulness didn't get me where I am slash slash director girl slash slash Ariana Huffington slash slash Mark Marin. Um, there's just a bunch of instances of the same thing coming up. Um, and gosh, this must be, maybe this is the innovator's dilemma. I've never read the innovator's dilemma. So maybe this might be the dilemma, but, uh, it's when, you know, the qualities that got you where you are aren't the qualities that'll get you where you want to go. Um, and I think organizations, it, that's kind of clear. That's, I think, I assume that's what the innovation innovators dilemma is about. Um, you know, you innovate and you, then you become the thing and now you're entrenched. Um, I'm more interested in this card, at least in individuals behavior. So the Mark Maron thing was, he was having a conversation with, uh, uh, Hellboy. Mm. I want to say Lorne Michaels, but it's obviously not his name. Mm. God damn it. Ron Perlman. Lorne Michaels, Ron Perlman. To, um, one of those trochies. Yeah. At least I got my meter right. Anyway. Um, and I think they were both just sort of talking about like how anger had fueled their careers up to a point. And now, you know, they should be happy. They should be sort of self-accepting, but they don't really know what to do with that anger. One is because of course it's more desirable to live without anger than it is to live with it. But also sort of like, uh, this is what got me where I am. And so, uh, what am I without it? And I thought that was interesting. Um, 
And, you know, it, it, I had a conversation with this girl who, who is a director and we were comparing notes because, you know, I, I do product management, um, and software, which is, uh, in the same universe as being a director in film or, you know, one of those things. Um, I actually think it's, it's more like being a director in film than it is like other things it's oftentimes compared to in the sense that you sort of wear these two hats that are uniquely bound together. One is you sort of do project manage the, the, the thing, but then you're also contributing in, in some significant way. And that way itself varies wildly, right? So like you, you can't, you can't characterize a director. There are directors who are held to work with, you know, there's a Stanley Kubrick, um, but then there's a, you know, uh, an Altman who's a, a joy to work with and creates like a communal vibe. There are writer directors, but then there are more editor directors, I think product management is in the same, you know, you, what, the only thing you can say about all of them is that they're responsible for the success or the, or the failure of the project. You know, a director can't say, well, it, it failed because one of the actors was, you know, not doing a great job. Like, well, that's, you, that's your ass. Um, but other than that, you know, the, the things that make you a good director or a good product manager are, are all over the map. Anyway, I was talking to her and she was very successful. Um, and I think we were just talking about um, being high monitor versus low monitor, or high touch versus low touch. Um, and, you know, she made such a simple point, but I thought it was an important one, which is like early on in her career, she was working with um, less experienced actors. And so she was very hands-on. Um, and as she became more and more successful, she worked with better and better actors. And the better her actors were, like, actually, the more she started to enjoy her job and then just sort of relinquish control and let actors kind of emerge, um, and take things in unexpected directions. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. So it's, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with gratefulness, but it's being very like aware of your current context. And I, I think like the more senior I get at my job is like the less, uh, the less systematic I try to be, like just the more fluid I try to be and the more responsive I try to be to the people that I'm working with. Um, and you know, I think, if things are going well for you, then you change is even more relevant because if things are going well for you, working with more and more amazing people, um, and you know, you start to adapt to that, but it takes, it does take like a, a mental trick to sort of say, uh, the thing that got me where I am is not the thing that will get me going forward. And the very last card, I'm so glad we're doing this. Like I'm going to delete all these now is just the phrase preparedness bifurcation. And this came to me this morning, I think. Um, I was just thinking about like, maybe this has always existed, but doesn't it seem like there's a there's a split and we're heading off in two different directions where um, some people are getting ready for the apocalypse, like legitimately preparing for the apocalypse and um, ramping up on you know all sorts of survival tips or learning how to build houses or hunt or whatever. And then there's another kind of people who are becoming more and more helpless. And so like, of course there have always been the, what HG Wells book is that? The sort of like the underground hardy, poor people. And then like the above ground, like weaklings, um, that, so there's always been, of course, some bifurcation or some split like that. But I think it's so interesting. Like now is this sort of somehow relates to optimism, pessimism, or, or just like future opinions. But, there's some people like within one class group, right? Like call them, you know, the privileged class or whatever. Like you have X leisure time. Um, some people, um, 
are choosing to, to prepare themselves for the worst possible conditions. And then, um, other people seem to be sort of, um, increasingly unprepared for any, any, you know, blip in our system. So if the, if the lights go out, if the electricity goes out in California tomorrow, uh, you know, are people going to like starve to death? I, it's possible. I don't know. Um, preparedness bifurcation. There's got to be a better descriptor for that, but that was the thought that um, made its way to the Trello card and now has made its way to the Barcast and now will make its way to the archive, uh, never to be resurfaced. So that's it. We we knocked out five mini themes in just under 24 minutes. Um, I hope this was as um, Marie Kondo, you know, uh, tidy up hygiene cleansing of an experience for you as it was for me. That's probably not possible. Um, but either way, thank you for making it this far and I'll see you next time.